everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 126th episode of the podcast that is taking you through all of the Marvel superhero adventures of the Marvel Universe from the beginning, starting with the Fantastic Four number one and going all the way into June of 1966, the month we're starting today. Four comics at a time. Or should we never say that? Because it may not always be true. But well, lately, you know, lately, lately it's been true. Yeah. We're going to have a few extra things down the road a little ways. I was trying to figure out if we should do five or what, but we'll figure that out when we get there. Yeah. Um, and so your homework that you were supposed to have turned in, and so I want you to all pass them up to the front. Uh, and I'll just take it off the front of each desk. But you should have read Daredevil 19, Tales to Astonish 83, The X-Men 23, and Thor 131. Actually, don't pass in your homework because we're in COVID and I don't want to touch the paper that might it's have just, your germs yeah, on it. Yeah, you should just email it. Yeah. Make it all digital. I'm not even sure what you're passing in if you've been reading, but, you know, Save whatever. a tree. I don't know. I guess they can't keep the comic they read. Oh, that's what, if a, they, you, what if they paid for comics, it? Give me your comics, kids. Give me your comics. <laughs> give me that Daredevil 19 you paid on eBay $28 for. Right, everyone pass in your action comics one. Taking those up now. Now I want to see if I was at all close to my guesstimate on how much Daredevil number 19 would go for on eBay. Daredevil, $28 sounds reasonable. I think it sounds reasonable, but watch. It's going to be like, no, this is the $1,000 one. Oh, gosh. I was way too high. Oh, no. What's 15 plus $7 shipping? 22 20. There you go. Getting close. It's pretty close. I can find them for slightly under 20 with shipping, so not bad. Whenever I covered 16 and 17 on... Um uh, Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I wanted to get the letters about the comics, and so I ordered a couple issues of Daredevil. To, Those are more uh, expensive. Yeah, I didn't. I, I read sixteen and seventeen. I just wanted to read the reader reaction to them. So I found issues uh, online. And uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. See what people thought. Like, um, hmm. I have nothing personal against Steve Ditko, but the most sensational coup which Marvel could perform would be to let Johnny Romita draw Spidey regularly. Ha ha ha, Bruce Long. Don't you know? So check this out, because now I'm just on eBay. So I looked. Daredevil 16, 50 to $100, right? Okay. Yeah. Daredevil yeah. 17, under 20 So it's just because that was the first Romita Spider-Man, technically? Possibly, yeah. So now it's, it's like, not skyrocketed, but it's more expensive than the next one. Yeah, it's funny that part two of the same story with the same creative team and the same uh-huh. like reader attraction of reading Spider-Man from Romita, because it's not the first one, because no. it's not the first man on the moon. No. Then and there's matter. a lot more graded options, too. So it's definitely a collector's milestone thingy, mm-hmm. I guess. If you're a Daredevil fan, you better grab that one quick. Because it's just going to get more expensive. We have John Romita's art was magnificent. He drew Daredevil <laughs> superbly. He drew Spider-Man like he was drawing him all his life. Mm. Um, scanning the letters page for other reactions. Absolutely marvelous. The best comic I've ever read. What does he Ooh. say about Spider-Man? I don't know. Uh, best comic he ever read. Of course, he only read two. He doesn't say that. It was a pretty good comic. I deliberately put off a second reading of this issue as I feel that the overall impression of a character comes through most clearly on a first reading. The overall handling of Spider-Man was skillful indeed. With the exception of a few minor points, the characterization of Spidey has been as he has been developed. I'm not sure what that sentence means. Oh, the overall characterization was Spidey, like the essence of Spidey as he has been developed. So he's like, you got it right. You know the character. Do you think they're getting these letters going... 
Weren't we writing this for eight-year-olds, Stan? Wow. <laughs> you care? Well, what, there's one guy talking about how he like buys extra copies to send to his sister in the Peace Corps. She's in Africa right now and hates waiting a month between issues. Wow. Not that being in Africa makes her like, wait extra time, but she just hates waiting. Yeah. Anyways, so all that extra hoopla aside, I guess we should dive into a comic. A one that doesn't have Spider-Man in it anymore. There's no Spider-Man anywhere in this Daredevil or in this episode. But, but it follows up some Spidey things. Yeah, Spider-Man has set some stuff in motion. So, alone against the underground. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no blurb at the beginning, but I'm just going to read Daredevil's words here as he's swinging through the night. Foggy still hasn't stopped pretending to be Daredevil. <laughs> it's like, still is in bold. Foggy mm-hmm. still hasn't stopped. This issue is actually five years after the last one. Uh-huh. Foggy still hasn't stopped pretending to be Daredevil. Um, script, masterful Stan Lee. Art, magnificent Johnny Romita. Inks, melodramatic Frank Giacoya. I don't know if we noted when Frankie Ray started going by Frank Giacoya, uh, but he has now. Lettering, yeah. melancholy Sam Rosen kind of shakes you up, huh? You see that nice banner they gave themselves? Yeah. Yeah. This terrific tale has been tested uh-huh. by us and awarded the good Marvel-keeping seal of <laughs> approval. Like, Enough said. Like they're giving themselves awards now. Awesome. You know, that's the only way I'm ever going to get awards. Shoot. True. I mean, they already created an age, so they might as well give themselves the awards for it. It is, after all, the Marvel age of comics. Yep. So anyways, Daredevil's swinging around. He sees a random guy in trouble, saves him, swings up to um, Foggy Nelson's apartment, knocks on the door and says, Mr. Nelson, we need to have a little conversation. Foggy's like, I'm sorry I pretend to be you. He's like, not just that. Hands in the paper. Turns out the gladiator has said Franklin Nelson is Daredevil. <laughs> and so now prominent attorney said to be Daredevil is the headline of the Daily Bugle. Um, so Foggy's like, oh no, this has gone way too far. And we're all like, it had already gone way too far. Now it's gone <laughs> even too farther. Um, Gladiator is uh, um, set for bail. He's released on his own recognizant or something. Goes to see the uh, um, the newspaper reporters. And they're like, here, take this gas mask. We take your picture. And he puts it on. It's not his gas mask. It's like his regular gladiator mask, but it has like gas protection in it. When they take the pictures, gas comes out of the cameras, knocks everyone around out. And so a couple of the reporters who aren't really reporters put Gladiator in a car and drive him to see, dun, 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 the masked marauder who has traded in his white curtains for purple curtains on his face. Um, masked marauder is like, all right, you're going to work for me now. We're going to get Daredevil. And Gladiator's like, I'm working for you. I'm my own man. Um, Daredevil and Franklin have come to a um, understanding. Um, Daredevil is going to go try to get the gladiator because he's escaped. They hear it on the news. He's like, don't open the door for anyone. Don't go anywhere. You're in danger and I'll fix it. And Frank is like, oh, now Karen knows that I'm stupid. Uh, over at Nelson and Murdoch offices, Karen's there by herself because the men have not come in to do their jobs yet. So she's having to field off all the reporters. Daredevil checks out Gladiator's costume shop because I figured he'd go, you know, there since he escaped. He's not there. Uh, back at the Mass Marauder, he and Gladiator are fighting because Gladiator doesn't want to work for him. Um, some Mass Marauder goons go to rough up Foggy Nelson. 
Daredevil thinks, well, if Lander's not home, maybe he's going after Foggy. I should go after Foggy. So he goes after Foggy, and uh, the bad guys are in there messing up Foggy, so he jumps in the window, beats him up with his feet and his kicking and his punching and his um, radar sense and everything else. They totally trash Nelson's apartment, but they don't totally trash Nelson, so that's pretty great. Um, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the bad guys are fighting until they find out that Daredevil has beat all their bad guys. And one of the guys escaped. He's like, hey, Daredevil beat up all our guys. And not only that, he's not Froggy Nelson. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what? And Gladiator's like, okay, well, I guess I made a mistake. So um, I will work for you, but only if I work with you as a partner. Let's go after Daredevil together. And Marauder's like, sure, let's go after Daredevil together, and I'll kill you later. Um, at the office, Karen is so excited that Foggy comes in. He's like, I guess you think I'm a big dork. She's like, I always thought you were a big dork. I don't know why you did that, but I'm glad you're safe. And she kisses him on the cheek. Um, Matt walks up to the door. He's like, oh, no. She's kissing Foggy. I guess I guess that means that she hears Karen say, and you're just like as wonderful as Matt, the most wonderful person in the world. And Matt's like, she thinks I'm the most wonderful person in the world. Hey, hey, hey. And he walks in and says, hey, what's up? Uh, you know, say hi. And Franklin and Karen are in there and they're all friends. And um, that's the end of the story. It says next issue, the trap. And I'm not sure if there's a shadow looming across their building. It or says if that's a just shadow. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, a sinister shadow. Oh, yeah, bravely try to ignore the menacing shadow, which is yeah. looming ever larger across mm-hmm. their future. So definitely a sinister shadow. So, yeah, sort of a wrap-up of the action that's been going on for a little while now and yet setting up more action to come. So uh, what would you think? Uh, I saw this cover, and it was one of those covers where I was just kind of like, eh, I don't want to read this, you know? Daredevil, alone against the underworld. Not more underworld and magia and gangsters and but then it turned out to be super awesome so sometimes it was a pretty great little read wasn't it sometimes you can't judge a comic by its cover i guess even though you're supposed to right (laughs) i was reading this thinking and feeling that we had gotten out of the daredevil doldrums of his first year or two Mm -hmm. and we're actually getting into some pretty solid silver age daredevil silver age daredevil is bonkers fun and this is this is good stuff it is very good stuff ever since john romita came on i think it's been much better stuff than what Mm -hmm. he was doing before course he's leaving but that's okay uh yeah i mean the whole like foggy is daredevil thing aside i think they uh just as far as a nutty notion i think they've handled it quite well and it's been fun this issue seemed to actually take the really wacky idea and put a decent amount of pathos on it Mm -hmm. like he really shouldn't have done that Mm -hmm. he realizes he shouldn't have done that and karen Karen has never struck me as being a super judgy person in the first place. She yeah. works for this guy and she cares about his safety. She's like, I don't know why you did that. That was really, really dumb. But I'm glad you're safe. So, you know, obtuse, whatever. Huh? I guess she doesn't pick up on the fact that he likes her. Maybe. Or if she does, she's really mean about it because later at the end, she's like, after all, I think Matt's the best and he's nothing like Daredevil. So why would I care if you were like Daredevil? Right. Like, Gee, right. Thanks. thanks, Karen. By the way, that's just setting up. Sort of like the whole Betty Brant. I hope you're not like Spider-Man business. Although at this case, in this particular moment, Matt didn't seem to notice or care about that part. It just made him happy that Karen thought he was the best. Yeah. But uh, it could get to a point where it's like, I hope you're not like that scary Daredevil character. They might do that someday. They might. I hope not. I yeah. feel like they won't, but I don't remember exactly. Um, you don't want to play the same card too many times, I guess. No, no. Uh, I honestly did not expect to see the whole 
uh, foggy in the papers as Daredevil. I thought that was a brilliant, logical next move in the story. Sure. If Gladiator gets arrested and he knows who Daredevil is, why not spill? Mm-hmm. Ruin his day. And also, if we recall, Gladiator, I mean, uh, the mass Marauder overheard Foggy bragging about being Daredevil. So he also knew-ish, and that just probably confirmed it. Because maybe yeah. he escaped out of the lobby as a cop, and he heard he heard uh, Foggy bragging to uh, to Karen. Okay, okay, and yeah. he thought to himself, right. oh, now I know who Daredevil is. I'll get him. And I'm glad they followed up on both of that, because I was kind of wondering if they were going to make this a danger for Foggy. So I'm glad there was a whole issue of that happening. Well, it's funny because Daredevil says you couldn't be worse off than now. Don't you realize the danger you're in from my enemies? Mm-hmm. And you're even making me new enemies. So can you please just stop? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, the easiest way to solve it is for Daredevil just to show up in the same room as Foggy, which he ultimately ends up doing. Mm-hmm. But he could have come up with that on his own, maybe. Or I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to do that because it embarrasses Foggy. He is in a pickle because Foggy is his friend. So it's like kind of outing your friend's psychosis or something right or weirdness um i remember gladiator's speech being a little bit stilted last issue like maybe english wasn't his first language hmm. but it's definitely not this issue he is slanging and i freaking loved and i was hoping it would happen in a way but i wasn't sure they would do it because they never have before usually when a two villains team up one of them just decides to be the obnoxious leader and all the rest of us go with it they often grump about it, but they go with it. Mm-hmm. Or you just wait, man. At some point, I'm going to take over. You know, blah, 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 that baloney. But I was like, what's to stop the gladiator from just beating the crap out of this guy? And then lo and behold, and the next, next page, he beats the crap out of the guy. I was just like, yes, that's so and he, awesome. And he spends most of the issue doing it. Yeah. It was kind of like, looked like gladiator was going to win, basically. but Or it was kind of a back and forth. But still, I just thought that was really cool. That should happen more often, I think. There are, and I comment on this because it continues to be just, you know, unusual. Mm-hmm. There are plen- there are several black people in the story, and mm-hmm. they're drawn like realistically like black people, which mm-hmm. Romita seems to have, I think, of all of our cast of uh, r- artists, seems to have the best handle on, um, you know, non-Caucasian features that are realistic and not cartoonish. Not, not a horrible stereotype, yeah. Right. Um I don't know how to index things like this, but Doctor Strange and Captain America are in this issue, but not really. So do you credit that or do you not? Oh, and Doctor Doom. So if anybody collects any of those three characters, it's like there's doll versions of them or mannequin versions of them. Right, right. I don't know. Does that count or not count? I'm always on the fence about that. Acknowledging their existence in the universe. Does that count as an appearance? I feel like that would be on the same level as somebody mentioning Captain America or Doctor Strange yeah. without, without it actually affecting the story at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Do you think this is the same crowd, the one who's at the Mass Marauder, do you think it's the same crowd who showed up to the Crime Master Green Goblin debacle? Yes. They probably just go from one thug to the next. From one, <laughs> one costume would be maniac trying to take over. <laughs> yeah. It's like Dr. Doom wouldn't have us, so we got to find somebody. And they always have like this, this re- resentment and reluctance, but then again, they can't really do anything because of the gimmicks and the super weapons that the guys have. So it's like, yeah. if, I, I, if I, if I don't go show up with this guy's thing, he's going to ice me in my bed tonight. I know. So yeah, nobody could just be normal humans anymore because the right. stakes are all higher now. Foggy lets the men into his apartment because he's so full of bad choices. Well, that's one of those like drawings of match the words thing because he says, or I don't know, where was that? can't find it um oh right here 
Daredevil told me not to, to admit no one, and yet they're only reporters. Oh, he does. But then they say, nuts, we're too old to be playing games, and Roderick expects results, so then it seems like they push the door in. But he does open it, so yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's dumb. Either way, they were going to get in, I guess. They are bound and determined. But that was a cool fight. It was a very cool fight. I didn't mention if Foggy actually helps. He comes up on a guy mm-hmm. that's about to shoot Daredevil, so Foggy makes a good choice there. Yeah, and it's like, see, you could be a superhero without having powers. And then Foggy's like, what powers do you have? And he's like, never mind. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. Uh, what did it say? Oh, yeah. Usually a gent like me has to pay to hire a bunch of spunky sparring partners. I feel like that's a read on Captain America. <laughs> really? Well, because you always see it like working out with a bunch of guys, uh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody paid those guys to come get their faces punched in. Yeah, well, if you're not on the X-Men or the Avengers, like... How do you work out super hard? You don't have one of those workout rooms with robots and stuff. Like he just go to, he just goes down and punches on a punching bag. That's his thing. That's his thing. I guess that's his thing. And I had actually written down that I wasn't sure why the Marauder was so sure it was foggy. But then you mentioned the stuff from I guess uh-huh. it was two issues ago, maybe. But the it was the second part of the Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. good a uh, good callback there. Yep. And I dig how the bad guys decide to go in together. Like it, it, <laughs> yeah. it makes sense. It feels natural. It's kind of funny because they're both like, oh, it wasn't foggy. Well, now any plans we had are ruined. So, yeah, let's work together and come up with new plans, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt Murdock smiles and it looks weird. So he must not do that very often. Um, Yeah, I guess not. Because he's blind. So, yeah, he's sad all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, also around Karen. Like he's always like sad around Karen because he has to be like morose and serious because Foggy's yeah. there. So I wonder what he's going to do with this information because – He's also stated he's not going after Karen because he knows Foggy likes her. That doesn't change just because Karen says, I think Matt's the best. So is he going to throw that out the window? Maybe not knowing where Karen's affections lie. Mm -hmm. He was willing to sit back and let Foggy have a chance at Karen or -hmm. with Karen, I should say. Um, But now knowing that she might like him. And of course, she could just be speaking hyperbolically. He doesn't know. Um, but now that he thinks that she might like him, maybe he'll, uh, decide to concentrate on her as he thinks there in the last panel. Yeah. We'll see. And then she'll probably bring up like how he needs to get his sight fixed and then she'll hate him or he'll not like her again. Right. It's weird. Cause I have read like eight or nine issues after this, but I don't remember any of the hijinks or drama that happens in the, in the meantime, except for one big element that we haven't gotten to yet. Well, she discovers his identity, and then she gets hooked on heroin. I think that's like 1966, 1967. <laughs> the heroin, yes. And then she's just a junkie for 20 years. Right, right. <laughs> but, Can um, you imagine like a John Romita Jr. or John Romita Sr. depicted version of Karen the junkie? That'd just be funny for me. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like like if Kurt Schaffenberger over at Superman Comics had tried to draw Lois or Supergirl strung out on drugs. It might have had the same. <laughs> like their their style is just too nice, friendly, and nice mm-hmm. and wholesome. It'd be really hilarious. It'd be hilarious to see a wholesome Karen Page in an alleyway with a syringe in her arm. They'd probably just look like really tired. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready to Hulk out because that's a really fantastic cover on Astonish. All right, Submariner and the Incredible Hulk: Tales to Astonish, number eighty three. Less than monster, more than man. And yeah, it's the Hulk bro hugging uh, Thunderbolt Ross and 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 Rick Jones and jumping away from tanks. That's pretty awesome. Rick wants to be the little spoon. I know it's not true. We must be having Hulk covers every other cover, but I don't feel like we've seen a Hulk cover in a long time for some reason. 
It's um, not, maybe it's not every other one. I think it's every other one. I'm trying to remember what two issues ago would have been, though. Let's see. Tales to Astonish was Iron Man. And 81. before that was... Before that was... Was... Okay, it was Hulk. It was Hulk and Boomerang with the Hulk's face all big and stuff. It just wasn't memorable, I guess. All right. Inside... Oh, boy. We have a big caption. Is Submariner first. It's called The Submariner Strikes. Namers, unforgettable battle with the invincible Iron Man, the first crossover of Marvel, which you thrilled to, we hope, these past two months have finally come to an end. Thus, the avenging Atlantisan, grimly the, like a Vulcanian, turns to his main objective, for he has vowed never to rest until he has made Warlord Krang pay for his treasonous deeds and for stealing the lovely Lady Dorma away from the mighty prince who had given her his un- unstinting trust. And his royal heart. Atlantisianistophyte. Yeah. That's not how they say that anymore, is it? Or they did it no. before either. Is that just new for this issue? I don't know. I've always thought Atlantean. Yeah. Was, and I think they've said next. that before, Atlantean. Anyway. Script, Smiling Stan Lee, penciling Jolly Jack Kirby, inking Darling Dick Ayers. The R is like scratched out on my copy for some reason. Lettering, adorable Artie Semek. And in the unlikely words of Irving Forbush, Imperious Rex. So last issue, he found, he saw, he stopped fighting Iron Man because he saw Krang and Dorma in that little submarine skadoosh thing. So he abandoned Iron Man to go kill the right people. And Krang's like, I'm going to kill Submariner. And Dorma's like, um, the only reason I'm marrying you is because you promised not to kill Submariner. And he's like, oh, I only promised to not let the behemoth kill Submariner. So technically, you still have to marry me. And she's like, ah, oh, I hate being good and honest. And while that's all happening, you know, Submariner attacks the ship. And the ship jumps away and tries to fly up to the top of a roof. But Submariner can fly, too. And he throws it around. But then, like, Krang does some doohickey stuff. And that knocks Submariner down. But then Submariner comes back and, like, starts ripping the ship apart. So then a drill comes out and he smashes the drill. Uh, Meanwhile, we got the police freaking out and everybody watching in New York. But one person that's watching in the privacy of a weird headquarters with binoculars is a hooded character from the Secret Empire, but unlike all the others who are super anonymous, this one has a one stamped on his forehead. So we get the first appearance of number one, and he's dun, dun, dun. watching the Submariner and thinking, I bet I could get him to do things for me because he seems a little bonkers and on the edge. So maybe he's not as goody two-shoes as some of these other guys. Uh, we cut back to Namer, and he's working his way through the ship from the outside, and he comes across Dorma, he can see her through the glass, but the glass is so thick because, you know, it's designed to take the pressure of water, of the ocean, bottoms of the ocean. So he can't hear the fact that she's like trying to explain, no, no, I was only, I don't really love him. I love you and I would never do anything to hurt you. I was just trying to save you. He doesn't hear any of that. Instead, he just punches through the glass and tries to kill her. But luckily, Krang is there with his super proto gun power thing and he shoots Submariner. Submariner falls into the water. Uh uh, 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 oh, Krang has like this thing called the Fleet Destroyer, and he shoots that at Submariner. Submariner recognizes it because I guess it's all part of Atlantisan technology. See what I did there? And mm-hmm. instead of letting it land and blow up the entirety of the world, Submariner rushes it, grapples onto it while it's hurling through the air, and like prematurely destroys it, I guess, rips it apart. So there's still a big blast, and it knocks Submariner into the ocean. Dorma and Krang seemingly escape. 
And the number one guy that I was talking about earlier, who's been following Submariner on his little skadoosh hovercraft thing, uh, saves Submariner and is ready to uh, inject him with like some sort of servitude drug. But turns out he doesn't have to because when he picks Submariner out of the water, Submariner's like, huh? Who am I? Who are you? What's going on? So suddenly he concocts a faster plan and says, oh, I am your friend. All the human race is your enemy, except me. <laughs> Next issue, Submariner at large. So why is number one on in exile? In exile? He says that the Hulk messed with my plans, and so I'm in exile. Or I'm in hiding. Well, I was so reading far, this. Oh, you're right. I was reading this, and I was like, so the Hulk chased off Boomerang last issue which messed with their plans to get the Orion missile. Mm-hmm. But, but does that mean do. that number one had to go into hiding? And Not because of Hulk. Yeah. But we get more of that story in the Hulk chapter of this issue mm-hmm. and it goes bad again. And so I'm wondering if maybe like they got their wires crossed on what was happening when, when they were making strips. I don't know, but it feels almost like this number one is reeling from the effects of next story. Or last story when number nine tried to work himself up into the ranks and he should have blamed that guy and not the Hulk. Should have, yeah, should like, have blamed that guy. Like, I know this number nine guy's out to become number one and the only way to do that is to kill me so I'm going to go into hiding. That would make more uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, and number nine, if I remember right, does even more about that in the Hulk he story. He does, yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing reason I would think that he's hiding. So yeah, I think we got some... Uh, some wires crossed in the narration here. I mean, the only thing the Hulk has done with the Secret Empire is chase a helicopter that rescued Boomerang. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even touch it or anything. So that shouldn't have made anybody hide. Weird. Anyway, I didn't notice that bit of dialogue. Well, you know how when we finished the crossover, I commented on how it was a fun crossover. Mm-hmm. We didn't really do anything to advance mm-hmm. the plot for either Namor or Submariner. Right. So this opening scene mm-hmm. could have followed right after issue 81. If you totally. skipped the Iron Man fight and the two suspense issues in an Astonish 82, mm-hmm. you could go um, straight from him flying up into the ocean to here. Yeah, because basically he just sees Iron Man attacking them, derails the whole quest to go fight Iron Man, and then comes right back to fighting these guys again. Mm-hmm. So outside of this one caption, there's really no reference to it or need for it. I wonder if maybe they thought, what if the readers couldn't get the suspense issues? And so they wanted to make it feel unimportant. I don't know. Boy, if Dorma and Krang don't at some point try and blend in with the humans, that whole turning themselves pink thing was just a waste of time. But maybe that happens later. Maybe. I mean, like, they're up here. They could conceivably go make some of the humans, but you're right. They haven't made it out of their ship yet. Okay. I realize what Namor's mutant power is. Okay. Turn to page eight. Uh His thumbs. He has mutant thumbs. He does? Page eight. Uh-huh. Look at his thumbs in all of those panels. They're so huge. Oh, he's like the beast. They're long as anything. Well, yeah, could be. So ankle wings and six inch thumbs. And electricity and super strength and, and talking to fish. Did he do a puffer fish at one point? Did he make it? Yeah, and a explain? puffer fish. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, the, the bit where like Namor finds their ship and starts yelling at them like i know that namor can't hear them Mm -hmm. but i'm imagining that he gives them his ultimatum on page three surrender or face evil vengeance Mm -hmm. and then like kang 
the speaker comes on and Kang has to like fight Dorma away from the mic. Stand back, woman. I shall speed to the heart. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it feels like it's a reply mm-hmm. to Namor, but yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun um, though. It's like, he's, it's still fun that he's weird and crazy right now, but. And then gets dumped on the head and gets amnesia again. I know. Oh God. And by the way, they set that up in a most cornball way. I've done it. Even if he has not killed the top of his skull, maybe injured his skull, which is his most vulnerable spot. His skull? What? What do you mean? Have you not heard what happened during the long years that Namor was missing from the throne of Atlantis? He had been victim of amnesia. So it's like, okay, so that means he's got a vulnerable skull? And we never learned what caused the amnesia, did we? No. It just not happened. Not that I remember. I think he was just drinking a lot. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been just a little too much wine in the, in the, in the docks bar there. Yeah. He's just trying like, to forget the horrors of World War II. I don't know. I mean, everybody certainly has a certain amount of vulnerability on their skull. That's, you know, where your brain is. But, yeah, but like, to, like, emphasize that like this. <laughs> bullets still bounce off it, I'm sure. But anyway, Probably. Yeah. Probably. It was just weird. But, of course, that's just foreshadowing for the fact that, of course, yeah, he is going to get amnesia right now. But does that suggest that he has some sort of propensity for amnesia? Like, all you got to do is hit him on the head hard enough, he'll forget things? He's like Buzz Lightyear for Atlanteans? Well, maybe it's like... um you know how Thor, if you hit him in that one spot in the back of his head, he turns evil and hit him again, he turns good. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you hit Namor in the back of the head, he gets amnesia and Duba, you hit him again, oh he remembers. God. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. The thing about the amnesia before is that throwing him in the water brought it all back, brought all his mm-hmm. memories back. So mm-hmm. I feel like it was just like being isolated from his natural habitat that like yeah, him crazy. Yeah. I think he was just like sick more than amnesic. Like, you know, he had all that hair. He was all hairy and he was living with the homeless and. I hadn't been in water in a long time. My last thought is that the lobotomizer is a crazy name for a weapon. <laughs> right? Yeah, Krang seems to have all the weapons, doesn't he? He's got some pretty cool weapons. Now, I think it was number one that had the lobotomizer. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was. He was, Oh, that's what he was going to shoot him with, the lobotomizer. That's right. Yeah. But then he didn't have to, so that was handy. All right, on to the Hulk. Uh, Yeah, Hulk it out. So I saw this cover again, and I'm just like, oh, God, that's right. I got to read Hulk, because I'm not excited about reading Hulk anymore or ever. But then I remembered that this could be exciting because the splash page was cool. And it's like, oh, yeah, I do want to read this Hulk. That's a weird feeling. Anyway. And the, the splash page is like, oh, this is pathos and drama. I actually yeah. really like this issue. So I forgot how it ended last story. So it's cool. Okay. Less than monster, more than man. Captured by the astounding power of Boomerang. Okay. Betty Ross is rescued from him <laughs> by the strongest mortal to trod the face of the earth. But as Tread. she... Tread? It, it should be say tread. tread. Trod is the trod. past tense. I'm just reading what it says. But as yeah, she, he, he really likes to ran in the rain sometimes. <laughs> but as she gazes up at the ponderous green skid figure before her, she wonders. Uh, I guess I should read what she wonders. Have I been saved by the brutal boomerang only to face a far more desperate danger at the hands of the Hulk? Script, smiling Jack. I'm smiling Jack. Smiling Jack Lee is what I was going to say. Smiling Stan Lee, layouts Jolly Jack Kirby, art Wild Bill Everett, lettering Whammy Sam Rosen, applause Honest Irving Forbush. So yeah, that's where she's at. It's like they're on this cliffside and it's raining and the Hulk is hovering over her and she's like, what's going to happen here? Is he going to be cool or not cool? And he starts tearing into the side of the cliff and he makes a cave for her so she's not in the rain and she's like, oh, I think maybe you are cool. You know what? Uh, if you don't mean to harm me, if you do want to help me, take me to my father. 
And he's like, Hulk, hey, General. General tries to kill Hulk all the time. She's like, you know, he's got a point. The General does try and kill the Hulk all the time, so I'm not going to hold that against him. She's like, listen. She's like looking in his eyes and holding him and like, could this really be Banner? Because, you know, Rick told her that it was Banner and she's still not sure if it is or not. Anyway, we cut back to uh, the boomerang who was recently rescued by Numbers Who Cares and three in the helicopter and they overhear bulletin you know one of the largest task force in the southern area has been marshaled by general thunderbolt ross for the purpose of tracking down the marauding hulk and so they go oh well that means that that missile that i'm supposed to steal for you guys is not as guarded anymore because they're all going after the hulk so i'm going to jump out of this helicopter and use my boomerang stuff to fly and go get that missile for you guys so he takes off uh meanwhile the general has all these tanks, and they're going around the desert looking for the Hulk. Uh, the Hulk is like, oh, Betty's cold. Let me start a fire. So he smashes two big boulders together, and then he's like, and let me get you some food. So he jumps up to the air to go to see if he can see any food on the ground because he thinks it's easier to see food up from up high. But when he's up in the air, all those tanks in the military see him, and they start shooting. Meanwhile, we cut to Talbot, who's supposed to be guarding this, what is it called? The Obsidian Missile or something like that. Oh, Orion, Orion missile. missile. I knew it was an O. The Orion Missile. Uh, boomerang throws a boomerang, not a boomerang, one of his circles into uh, a tank or something, a propellant fluid tank, and it explodes. And so there, and that's where the missile is. So it's like, oh, let's wheel the missile out into the open. And Boomerang's like, that's exactly what I wanted. And he attacks them. Meanwhile, we cut to uh, the Secret Empire, and they're all around a table, like Austin Powers style, and they're arguing about how uh, 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 I can't remember which number this guy is. Is it number nine who's the jerkhead? I don't know. One of them's the jerkhead, and they're like, we need to oust you. And he's like, oh, yeah? So he throws like this big can of some stun grenade at them and then it turns out underneath his robes because they all wear robes from head to toe underneath his robes he's just wearing this big giant armor so the stun grenade didn't hurt him and he's like yay my goal is complete except for that pesky number one from the first story meanwhile we cut back to the hulk and he is fighting general ross and his army he picks up a jeep and he's gonna smash it on general ross's head but general ross is like you have my daughter i am in full papa bear mode killing me i will only come back stronger like a jedi and that really confuses the hulk because he's like huh usually people run when i do this also i'm not sure deep down i'm a murderer so he kind of just stands there holding the jeep long enough for rick to be like hey it's me your friend i haven't seen you in forever you're no killer come on that annoys the hulk because he knows he's right so he throws the jeep off to the side but then he snatches both rick and thunderbolt ross and leaps back to betty Betty's like, yay, daddy. And he's like, I got to kill this Hulk. She's like, no, dad, I'm pretty sure that's Bruce Banner and I love him and he's not mean to me. And while they're all arguing about this, Hulk like, too many words, too much arguing. And he leaps away, leaving them up there. And he goes to sulk, cap sad like, on a top of a mountain. And it says next issue, the Hulk runs amok in the city. Interesting. Interesting. Good. I enjoyed it. Um... Okay, so I was looking at the uh, complete Marvel reading order mm -hmm. to see... Why the you know, Secret it, Empire is weird? To see, you know, what the story is about number one and see if he shows up in the, um, uh, 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 you know, the Submariner stories or if he's just... I'm sorry, if, he's, if he shows up in the Hulk stories or if he's just in the Submariner stories. Mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, trying to, you know, learn mm -hmm. some stuff while you're reading. And I found out, and I, I don't know that I should say, 
Mm-hmm. But I found out that number nine, the guy who takes out everyone else in this party except for number one, mm-hmm. is actually a person in disguise. Oh, is he Tony Stark? Should I answer that with a yes or a no? Well, I don't know that I care that much. It's not like it's Green Goblin or anything. It is not Norman Osborn, I will tell you that. Okay. It is somebody we know, and I'm a little oh. bit surprised and curious to know where it's going to go. Okay, well then. And I feel like I shouldn't hide this because like, I want I didn't know this until it spoiled me on the internet. Uh huh. But you looked. I did look. I didn't mean for. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to find out. Yeah. But now I know. Do you want to know? Um. No. Okay. Not so we're supposed to know. That's interesting. You know, it's uh, it's probably gonna be a surprise reveal at some point. So I was counting the guys around the table, mm-hmm. and there are the exact correct number of guys. Number nine is there. Number one is missing. And number five is dead. Mm-hmm. So they're the exact number of other guys, and number nine kills them all. So in ostensibly the entire secret empire, except for number one and number nine, who's a disguise, who's somebody else in disguise, are dead. I still think it's bonkers that none of the others wear numbers on their head, though. Like, how do you keep track of that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Especially since they up their numbers whenever someone dies in front of them. Anyway. And it could be anybody under those hoods. Like, yeah. You don't know, you'd have to like know their eyes or their voice. Which, yeah. Yeah. So then you're just walking around and it's like, number five, is that you? No, it's number three. Oh man, this is exhausting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the scene in the beginning of this issue, since we're still kind of in some classic Astonish Hulk, mm-hmm. I feel like this scene was probably in the minds of the makers of the Incredible Hulk. Oh, this is, this is like outside of that original rapey scene. This is the first like, indication that the Hulk actually cares about Betty, mm-hmm. which is but pretty classic the, Hulk, right? The Hulk it is only very cares classic Hulk, Betty. but the That's, cave and the rain and them two connecting. Oh, I feel yeah. like the movie sure. makers probably have this scene in mind. Maybe there are lots of scenes with them in the cave with the rain, but totally. I read, I read this. All that's missing is him fighting the lightning storm. Yeah. Right. But this that was great. That, it was really good. I'm glad that she did not catch him on a, I hate banner day <laughs> because she's all like, is Bruce Banner right. in there somewhere? And he's just like, yeah, she did say that multiple times. So don't write, write no puny banner. Uh, I'm am- go. I'm amused that boomerang continues to have lots of little discs missing on his outfit. Like this know, has been right? a very supply draining fight. Now he just got all these little stitch marks where they used to be. <laughs> he's got like five left. Right. Got to make these last. And in your in your in your synopsis, you're like he uses boomerang stuff to fly. And I'm like, yes, boomerangs <laughs> make him fly. <laughs> well, I don't know what's making. I, I didn't know boomerang could fly, and I don't know. If I didn't know he, he, once he changes his outfit if he still continues to be able to fly. I don't know. He's got rocket I've never boots. Never seen it. He doesn't have rocket boots in his newer outfit that I can think of. I don't think so. I just realized just now that the weird shape on his forehead is a boomerang with the two ends connected by an arc. Right. Of course. So he picks up signals or something. Yeah. It's just a weird antenna. We got to have a, you know, once we get deeper into this Marvel universe, we should like have a most improved villain costume show Mm, or something mm. because there are a lot of improvements on the horizon here. Yeah. Starting with Pace Pot Pete and working forward. Pace Pot Pete. Uh, Yeah. The Trapster. Yeah. Yeah. He went from pale bucket to things on his arm, which was a lot better. So at the end, Ross tells them to let Hulk go. Somehow I find myself beginning to understand. And I'm wondering just what kind of understanding Ross is actually going to gain. And I'm thinking probably none. No, because he's like this forever, as far as I know. 
Yeah, I don't think Ross ever changes his tune until, spoilers, he becomes a Hulk. And I don't even know where this tune came from because five seconds ago, oh, she said he saved me. It's like, saved you? You mean you weren't frightened of the green-skinned monster? No, I think it's Bruce Banner. So maybe he like had a little appreciation that she got saved by Boomer- saved from Boomerang? I don't know. And at some point, you would think that Ross could actually see because his biggest complaint about Bruce was that he was, uh, you know, basically that it, it was homophobia. It was that, that Rock, Bruce is too effeminate, that he's too, you know, unmanly. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, he's like, the Hulk saved Betty. Betty loves the Hulk. I know that Bruce is the Hulk and he's super strong and powerful. Uh-huh. So why am I not on board with this? Right. Or at least use Betty to manipulate the Hulk or something. Something like that. Yeah. That's not very fatherly, I guess. I That's know. a fantastic last tiny panel, though. It is. And it's an interesting end because it's like you could just read this one story and it's a one and done kind of. No continuation. Mm-hmm. Other than the boomerang being we're left hanging on whether boomerang steals the missile or not. But Yeah, the, all the cliffhanger drama is in the side plot at this yeah. point. The Hulk, the Hulk has a dramatic close to his narrative here. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the uh, Secret Empire is up in the open, too, but. That was really bonkers, the reveal of his, like, medieval tank armor or something. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, is that supposed to be a character I know? But then it just turned out that was to prevent the stun bomb from hurting him. Oh, the uh, number nine's armor under his uh, Yeah, it's like, wow, didn't see that coming. Anyway, so so Betty Brant is number nine, huh? Wow. I don't <laughs> that's know. where Betty's. That's where Betty's been all <laughs> I'm this just time. To think of like who? Who could it be? I don't know. If I'm supposed to know him, that's weird because I can't think of anybody. But anyway. I'm tired of you always putting yourself in danger. Meanwhile, I'm <laughs> trying to take over the world. Right. <laughs> the X Men 23 to save a city. Action lovers, this one's for you. Ugh, doesn't that make you just ugh? I'm not an action oh, lover. I guess I'm not an action lover. Everything. I mean, I like good action, but mm-hmm. like you got to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Okay, it's rollicking resume time, but instead of wasting a lot of space on nutty introductions, let's quickly plunge right in and let the story tell itself with a bunch of wordy dialogue. Uh-huh. Um, Count Nefaria, in a few moments, while you are chained here helpless, I shall steal the nation's capital, just as you X-Men fell before the power of the new revived Magia, so will all of America soon grovel before the might of Count Nefaria. Join me and share my supreme triumph, for if you do not, I shall be forced ultimately to destroy you. What are you, Nefaria? Some kind of a nut? Edited in Ecstasy by Stan Lee, written in Rapture by Roy Thomas, drawn in Delight by Werner Roth. Jay Gavin has taken off his mask. Delineated in Depth by Dick Ayers and lettered in a lawn chair by Artie Semek. Artie is living his best life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all the X-Men have been captured by Nefaria, mm-hmm. and they're all in a dungeon together in a little group scene, which is pretty great. Um, he uses a machine with like lots of levers and buttons and a big TV screen on it to cr- cause, to like disperse particles throughout the atmosphere over Washington, D.C., and they all crystallize and fuse into a dome over the city. Mm-hmm preventing anyone from entering or leaving. Despite all attempts, both brutal and explosive, no one can get in or out of Washington, D.C. And uh, the president's sure that they're not doing it. They find out that the uh, Eastern Bloc is not doing it. Um, meanwhile, the X-Men 
are going into the capital. Huh? How are the X-Men going to the capital? I thought they were captives. Well, sure enough, kids, Mm -hmm. the X-Men are going to the capital and they thread. They're like, hey, you need to give us certificates worth $100 million at once. Otherwise, within three hours, the crystals of the dome will absorb all the oxygen inside it and you will die. So they want $3 million. I'm sorry, $3 million. Three hours to get $100 million or else. And they leave. And just as the police about to grab them, they bloop. I'm sorry, they gleep and they disappear. Meanwhile, the X-Men are still captured because guess what? Those weren't really the X-Men. Jean Grey is trying to use her telekinesis to get the uh, manacles off, but she can't see how to undo it. So she can't get through. Um, Xavier is trying to uh, talk to his students with his mind and he just can't seem to find them, I guess, with his brain. Uh, he gets a call from the general. The general's like, hey, um, you did pretty well with that Sentinel stuff. And John looked it up and found out that uh, the general was also at the site with a vanisher. So he knows that you're Xavier and he knows that you're, you know, pretty cool on this whole X-Men deal. So can you come and help us out? And Xavier's like, certainly. Meanwhile, um, down in the dungeon, um, Gene does manage to get Cyclops's visor loose enough that his beam can bust it the rest of the way off. And then he uses his beams to bust off everyone else's manacles. They go to Nefaria. And on their way to Nefaria, Xavier's like, oh, I found you. Fantastic. Okay, this is what we're going to do. So the X-Men go to Nefaria and say, hey, Nefaria, you know what? A hundred million dollars sounds pretty nice. So we're going to help you go get it. And if you're like, fine, help me go get it. But just so you know, if you betray me, I can kill you all. Okay. So then the um, five Strange Tales bad guys, the Strange Tales super squad are um, talking about how they're going to turn against Nefaria and take the money back and Unicorn and Porcupine and Plantman and Eel and Scarecrow and Crow number one and Crow number two and George the Crow are all like, yeah, let's take all the $100 million for ourselves. Um, Xavier's talking to the general and the general's like, we got to go get the X-Men. And Xavier's like, well, what if it's not really the X-Men? What if it's just that people are trying to frame the X-Men? He's like, I saw that it was the X-Men. If you're not going to help, fine. And then Xavier falls asleep doesn't really fall asleep. He sends his astral image out. And his astral image says, this is the closest I'll ever get to walking. And he goes and finds Count Nefaria, sees what Nefaria is going to do, goes back and tells the X-Men. The X-Men, um, they go through the wall. Nefaria lets them through the wall because of his machine to go get the money. They go to the Capitol. They get the briefcase full of money. Angel flies off with it, just like that scene with the Vulture and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, Iceman ices the guns of the... Uh, police to stop them through the angel uh the public are like oh no it's the x-men they start throwing bricks at them um hank climbs the um clinton monument i mean the washington monument to uh that was a old 90s joke um Hmm. to to get away from the the crowd and the super villain strange tales squad shows up and starts fighting them um there's a big game of keep away with the bag of money uh, Unicorn finally gets a hold of it. And is like, ha ha ha! I came to get the money for myself, and I'm gonna go away and get it. And um, so the tanks show up, and he's like, "You're not really tanks. You're just images from the Feria." So he flies off with his own rocket boots um, that he borrowed from Boomerang. Xavier is like, "Okay, I guess he's gonna go check into a hotel." And what else? Bunch of bunch of 
bullshitish. Um, Unicorn eventually gets taken down by another set of tanks that are real. The X-Men get the bag of money back. Uh, they show up with Nefaria. Weird uh, trench coat, invisible man, bandage wrapped dude with goggles and a hat is walking around. Um, he just like shows up in Nefaria's room with no one knowing where he came from. And as Jean Grey turns the bag of money over to Nefaria, a uh, weird, mysterious, invisible man dude just walks over and starts turning all the switches on the big machine. He makes everything go bad. Nefaria gets away with the bag of money. Uh, invisible man takes off his mask like, hey, I'm Professor Xavier. The closest I ever came to walking was my astral image, except that I've also got these leg braces that make me walk. So um, what else? Nefaria doesn't actually have the bag of money because... Xavier tricked him and kept the real bag of money and used the machine to project a fake bag of money. And as soon as the fairy realizes the real bag of money, it is the fake bag of money disappears. They have the actual bag of money and they're all about to leave the fairy's uh, house when Xavier's like, Oh wait, guess what? Jean Grey, the mail came. Jesus. The mail Uh came and here's a letter and um, it arrived for you this morning. And she's like, Oh, a letter. It's weird timing professor, but okay. Oh crap. Hey y'all. Um, I'm quitting. I'm leaving the X-Men forever. The end. The end. Never see Gene again in the X-Men. Never, ever, ever again. Charles Xavier saves the day once again. This was... Sort of. I don't know why he was needed, actually, if you think about it, but okay. This was a lot to do. You ever see that movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World or whatever? Nah. It's like that, except not funny. (laughs) <laughs> just all this hijinks. Just every time you turn the page, some new hijinks. Just to fill in fill in the pages. Kind of, but it's like, first the X-Men are good, then they're pretending to be bad, then the bad guys are going to steal the X-Men's stuff that they're stealing, except that the bad guys have to help the X-Men first because they're being attacked by humans, and then they're going to attack the X-Men, and then the humans attack the bad guys, and then it's like, oh my god, this is so much. Yeah. And also, I'm not sure why we're doing any of this if we really start scrutinizing it, but I probably shouldn't. And while I was reading it, I wasn't hating it. It was a bit long to get through. But like going back through, I was like, wow, there really is a lot of just hijinks. Yeah. So step one, what's in it for the – if you're from the point of view of the X-Men, what is Nefaria selling them that they should be buying? Like what is in it for them? Because his argument – Oh, a share? Is that it? Money? I guess. Okay. Well, he wants the X-Men to help him steal the money. Uh-huh. Uh, Does he offer they, them any money? I don't know. It's like, you should help me because everybody hates you. By the way, if you don't help me, I'm just going to make it seem like you helped me and they're going to hate you anyway. It's like, okay, thanks. I guess we'll just stay here then. And like, how did his images work? I don't know, but did you notice that on page six, they call him Master of Dreams in the caption? Oh, is it his dream machine again? It's his dream machine again. As the malevolent master of dreams, belatedly. Okay. okay. So that is his power, is he has dream mastery. Mm. But didn't mm. Tony Stark have to be asleep for that to work initially when he was the master of dreams? Dream master? I would have I would have gone back and looked at that. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he had to be asleep. But I'll never okay. be able to figure out where that is now. So... Nefaria is like, nobody could possibly imagine the idea. No, no. One of the X-Men is like, nobody could possibly actually steal a city. And Mole Man sticks his head in and says, hey. Um, <laughs> Hold my beer. I've sold, 
I've sold like buildings and city blocks before. We could do. A, I threatened to do a whole city. We're gonna steal. Just, a, we're gonna steal a whole continent. Right. Yeah. I have a radical question though. Okay. We've seen anti-mutant hysteria, mm-hmm. and we've seen it, you know, baseless and coming out of nowhere. But could it also be fueled by people pretending to be the X-Men and doing evil stuff? That's what we. I think that's what we headcanoned is when it. When it really first started turning was because the Blob and what's his name Eunice, Eunice started pretending to be X Men publicly and robbing banks. Okay. okay, so I think I think historically that's when it really turned for them. All right, I forget our headcanon sometimes. Well, that just recently happened, but I think we just made it up. But it seems like up until that point, other than that one Toad fiasco where he was, you know, attacked by that high school or something like that, like there hasn't mm-hmm. been a lot of mutant hysteria. And now it's all the time. So this general, General Fredericks, mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised because I was thinking, you know, you know who should be calling Xavier is his FBI friend. Fred Duncan that he's mentioned like twice should be the one calling him. Mm. But I like that they use the general from the Sentinel story. And I was looking at this issue and turns out General Fredericks actually has like almost 10 appearances. He was in the Miracle Man issue of the Fantastic Four, FF3. Mm-hmm. He was in the Vanisher issue of the X-Men. He was in the Sentinel story, which gets mentioned here. And he does have a handful more appearances over the years. Um, so that's weird. It's just a random general they keep on using consistently. Well, that's cool. At least there's consistency, I guess. Somehow, some way. So on page two, when all this uh, stuff starts sprinkling down and creating a bubble, there's this guy like, what's this? It can't be snow, not in June. And this other guy goes, no, it's countless glowing particles crystallizing in the air. I'm just thinking that guy is so annoying to hang out with, I bet. I was thinking, isn't that what snow is? <laughs> I guess, but like, whatever, Ernie. I'm sick of you just knowing everything. Shut up. <laughs> so stupid. Like, that was the weirdest dialogue. <laughs> like, why does this guy know anything? That's just weird. It wasn't yeah. Reed Richards. That was just a dude. Just some dude. He's mansplaining to another dude. Uh, yeah. It seems um, like Jean's new thing is to help them escape all the time. Like, that's her one thing in life she has done that a few times yeah which is why i like um there's this one bit i think it's i think it's in the x-men movie but it's also in like uh one of the early claremont magneto stories he uh-huh. puts uh cyclops and gene facing each other so uh-huh. if she does get his oh that was free, x-men number one was it in the first issue the first yeah, movie the, yeah the first movie but i think it was also in a claremont story oh okay that's where they got that from maybe that's cool I feel like we might actually, you know, later on, Xavier has a reputation as being like an expert on mutants. Uh Uh-huh. That might be what we're seeing develop here. If he's gotten called a few times by the general about having to help with the Uh X-Men, then maybe that's where he's starting to build this reputation as knowing something about the whole mutant situation. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, does he ever reflect on these times when he's not out and feeling bad about it? Because he like talks to these dudes and they're like, well, we think you know a lot about mutants. And he's like, yeah, those mutants Ugh, horrible. What do you need my help with? You know? Right. Right. Not that he betrays anybody or anything, but it's just like, he's living a secret basically. Right. He's, he's got a, he's not out and proud, which is the analogy, I suppose. It's like Spider-Man. Ooh, icky spiders, but yeah. seemingly worse because it's ostracizing a population. Yeah. Also, Professor X, when your kids are all on vacation, don't turn off your mental powers. That's a bad time to do because they're going to want to reach out to you. He's all like, oh, I was working so hard. I turned off my thing so no one could bother me. It's like that's when they get attacked on vacation every single time. 
So there's a pop culture reference I did not get, so I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Don't take too long, Psych. I'm getting awfully tired of being the poor man's prisoner of Zenda. Oh, I have no idea what that means either. Right? So I looked it up. Mm-hmm. So you know this like teeny tiny niche genre of fiction? It's not so popular anymore, but it probably was so popular at one time. It's like story takes place in a made up country, usually like Eastern Europe and the nobility are fighting and there's probably a usurper on the throne and we're trying to put the real guy back. And there's like adventure and honor and romance, mm-hmm. like that, that kind of a story. Mm-hmm. So prisoner of Zenda sort of helps to make that a thing. Mm. It's a late 19th century novel and it had a lot of movie adaptations in the early, early days of movies. Like when movies became a thing, they're like, Oh, we got to make Prisoner of Zenda into a movie. And they did like five different silent films. Um, then there's a 1937 version that was really popular. And then that was remade shot for shot in color in the 1950s with a new cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so in like your great grandparents era, the Prisoner of Zenda was still probably popular. And it, they're in the dungeon here. So that's probably why they're referring to it here. So that's, that's what that is. Okay. I guess that was, that was a more popular thing to say back then because that's Way a lot of research you have to do to understand that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing that Nefaria likes to talk out loud to no one because Xavier was able to listen in. Yep. Yep. And he talks about, um, what is it, on page eight, panel five. Mm-hmm. Let's see. With the money, I shall return to my castle in Central Europe. Uh-huh. Didn't? He rebuild that castle stone for stone in the U.S. in his first story. Isn't that yes. what we read? Yes. He was going to go to America and take over the world. And the Avengers went to visit him at that castle in the first Nefarious story, and they got captured. Or was he moving back to Europe after that? Gosh, I don't even know. That's too much investment in this guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did like the reversal. You always think the henchmen are going to take... Um, you, you think they'd take the case and if Nefaria doesn't trust the X-Men, so like, go get the case for me and bring it to me. Mm-hmm. But no, they go take the case because they want it for themselves. And then one of them is like, no, I want it more than you. And takes it. It's that mm-hmm. little bit was kind of fun. Yeah. I think Roy Thomas made it as unfun as possible, but it was fun. Like he's mm. just, he's just so wordy about everything, but lots of words <laughs> at the beginning. Who's got time for a wordy introduction? Let's just get right in. Right. Cause we've got too many, we've got too many speech balloons to get to. I kind of feel like, <sighs> I'm a little tired of Professor X being so involved all the time. I guess that's just early mm-hmm. days. But, like, they could have taken care of this probably without him if they just tweaked the plot slightly, you know? Like, they didn't need it to be his idea. They could have decided for themselves that we need to cooperate with him, so let's pretend so that we can figure out how to get this shield taken down, because that's why they're doing it. And then when they got back, like, yes, I guess Professor X read his mind and knew how to turn off the shield, but we could have had, like, the Beast figure it out... Or mm-hmm. they could have let, they could have redid that so that they tricked him into turning it off, and then they all show up and he runs away. I don't know. I don't need Professor X undermining the team all the time. It's getting old. Well, remember last issue, whenever they left on this mission, he sat home agonizing about how he'll never be a whole man because he's stuck to his wheelchair, mm-hmm. and like oh, yeah. they have all the action, and then he's been working on these uh, braces the entire time. I guess that's why they. Sp- Patted us with that thought, right? Because he's going to next issue walk. I guess. How long do you think he's going to keep these? Not long. And it didn't seem like that big a deal. Like you'd think that'd be like monumentous or something. He's not like smug pipe smoker yeah. at the bottom of 19 there. He's just like, oh, yeah, I have this little walkie talkie I put on my belt and I 
and I walk now, and everybody's like, okay, like, whatever, that's cool. Anyway, I have this letter. That's wonderful news, but what about the fairy and the unicorn? Yeah, and then they used they, – it wasn't even his own mental projection that was making them think they had a suitcase. It was Nefarious's dream machine thing, so turned it against them. I don't know. Is the Beast technologically advanced? I guess we haven't established that yet. But it seems like – I feel like the Beast in today's modern Beast-like world could have done something. You know, I don't think we've really established him as like knowing electronics or machinery yet. Mm-hmm. He uh, pretends to be super smart. Mm-hmm. And I'm we, sure he is reasonably smart. Mm-hmm. But, he talks um, smart. But he doesn't. Right. He doesn't do Reed Richards stuff yet. No, no. But I know someday. Feels- I know someday he does. But I don't know if it's computer or if he's just like a genetic lab guy. Probably more a genetic lab guy. I'm thinking more genetic lab guy, and that might not even start until uh, Amazing Adventures, whenever he goes off on his own. Yeah, and has his own series. Well, if you're smart in the Marvel universe, you're pretty much an expert at any area of science, though. So, right, generic scientist. It's like. I, so, I'm what a- do you think is up? With- <laughs> go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. What do you think is up with Gene? I think her parents want her to come home because they're dying of cancer or something. That's, oh, what, that's okay. what's going to happen because it won't last. What else could it be? It's a letter to her. So who would write her a letter? Mm-hmm. has to be a family member. Right. We found Wolverine. What, I actually do remember what this is. So I'm not going to spill it. Oh. Um, but she does have a thing happening. So that's something we'll find more out about in one, two, three episodes. And Green Goblin is your father. Oh, no. Right. I don't know. Dream Goblin is your father, and he's taking over the Secret Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he's number I nine. Made a list, yep. I made a list of when these guys come back. Who guys? The bad guys in this oh, issue. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. I feel, so you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Plant Man is first one to come back, not until Submariner 2. Oh, boy. So, like, after the Astonish run ends and Submariner gets his own series, Submariner yeah. 2 is the first Plant Man. And he fights Plant Man? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. The Unicorn is in Iron Man 4, so around the same time. The Porcupine is in Captain America 130. Holy crud. And then he and the Plant Man join the Scarecrow and the Eel in Captain America 159. Just so like down the road. Okay. But not as down the road as now Count Nefaria. Uh-huh. The next time we see Count Nefaria... Is in this series, 72 issues from now, X-Men 94, the revamped team, First Adventure. First Adventure? Well, after their giant size series, their first adventure in the monthly book. And is he Superman at that point? Because that's when... Nope. Jeez. He's still still Monocle Cape Man. I cannot believe that. And that's when he has the Animen. I meant to look to see with the Animen have an appearance between now and then. Um, But that's, that's what's happening there. All right. Well, I'm not upset about that. That is taking. It's going to be a really long time before we see all these tales to astonish rejects. But yes, yeah, so we might see the first couple. I mean, realistically speaking, I doubt we will get to. Um, what oh, is it? You always X-Men say that. Ninety four. We're gonna. We're I gonna always get to say everything. that. We're all. We're gonna get to everything. Fight tomorrow. So? I can't believe we're on Captain America number three hundred eight. The death of the porcupine. Just feels so unlikely. I know. I don't think it's three hundred eight, but it's three hundred something. Anyway. Thor, 131, they strike from space. Are we ready? Let's go. Um, I, actually, uh, just really super quick, the Animen do have another story between now and X-Men 94. Okay. So just to throw that out there. So they're not Nefarious's boys or anything? Not yet. Rejoice, ye Marvelites. Mighty Thor has won freedom for Hercules by defeating the forces of Pluto in deadly combat. And now, 
Flush with triumph, the two immortals appear in the fabled realm of Zeus. Uh, script, Smiling Stan Lee. Art, Jolly Jack Kirby. Inks, Vivacious V. Coletta. Lettering, Affable Artie Samek. Celestial Guided Tours, Honest Irving Forbush. They're getting more streamlined with these things, aren't they? All right. Yeah, it's not as, uh, not as crazy all the time. So we start out in Olympus. I guess Thor escorts Hercules home. He's like, yay, I'm back. And Achilles is like, boo. And he's like, Hercules is like, you should have, you know, lent your sword to my plight and helped me, but you didn't. And Achilles is like, well, I'm sorry, Ares. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't want to interrupt you, but it's Ares. It's Ares. Ares is like, well, that's because Zeus likes you better than me, so I'll always hate you. And by the way, I'm going to hate Thor now, too. And Thor's like, okay, I'm out of here. And he like backs away slowly, thinking to himself, I've got enough enemies. I don't need Olympian enemies too. This is nuts. So he goes to climb some Olympian rock and it magically transports him back to uh, Atlantis. Meanwhile, we cut to uh, uh, um, Jane, who was ordered, as we recall, by her weird, wide-faced, mysterious roommate to just leave and keep leaving. That was basically her instruction. And so she's on the bus now going, why am I doing this? But I can't stop doing this. I just have to keep leaving. And this old lady's like, where are you going, dear? It's like, I don't know. Far away. I'm just leaving. I have to obey Tana Nile. Dun, dun, dun. And we cut to Tana Nile. And she's like, well, now that Jane's gone, I don't need to look like a stupid human anymore. And she transforms into an even wider faced person with a huge head and like cool robotic purple uh, garments and she's obviously an alien um, and she's a colonizer she wants to colonize earth that's what her people do I guess they go around looking for planets and then they ask permission from the head office if they can colonize it so she speaks into her Dick Tracy watch and she's like can you send a crew down here the vision of claims down here and see if I can get approved to claim this planet so they go uh, meanwhile we cut to Thor and he asks his father during a chess game, like, can I please marry Jane Foster? And he's like, you know what? <sighs> we have gone back and forth on this so many times, and I'm in a good mood because I just beat this random guy at chess. So, yes, you may marry. And he's like, good, because either that or I was going to renounce being Thor. And then Odin's like, but wait, there's going to be conditions. And Thor's like, I know, I know, I know, but I'm so happy. Yee! And he flies away. So we'll find out what those conditions are later, I'm sure, and they're going to be horrible. Anyway, so he flies back to Jane Foster's apartment and immediately gets shot by electricity. And he falls to the street. And it's because uh, the colonizer and the, uh, uh, you know, the approver people are there and they shot him with a gun. Inspectors. Inspectors. They shot him with a gun. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. That was Thor. And he's like, nothing can survive our awesome guns. But then Thor crashes through the window and says, I can. And then she's like, you must kneel before me. Because if you recall, people have to like actually obey her. So he falls to his knees and he's like, this, this is crazy. And while he's on the ground struggling, she explains that she wants to claim this planet as her own. And that also she's got this thing called a space lock a la Doctor, Doctor Who or something. And it, from their home planet, it shoots a beam, a bubble around the Earth, and she can move the Earth around so she can make the weather super cold or super hot or whatever. And so if we don't follow her and do what she says, she could kill us all. So that's all Thor needs to hear, and he starts getting up. And the inspector's like, oh, my gosh, nobody can do that. That's crazy. Let's just shoot him with a uh, 
proton ray. And that'll like put him in this box of ice looking thing. And Thor's thinking to himself, you know what? I'm going to let them do this because I need to know more. So he pretends like he's been captured. They approve her uh, uh, claim on the planet and they give her a risk control so that she can control the space lock thing. And then they take uh, Thor away a la Han Solo and Carbonite. They just kind of float him away and they put him in their big spaceship and they start flying away. And he's like, well, now that I know we're going to the main homeland where all this craziness is happening, I'll just escape. So he breaks out. Um, she fires the space lock. It goes around the planet. I don't think she's going to do anything bad to us yet, but she has a, she has us, you know, by the space lock anyway. Thor starts fighting these two guys, these controller inspector guys. They can, like, affect their own density, all of vision or something. So they're punching him really hard and all that. And he's like, well, I don't care. Or they're like, you know, they punch him really hard. Then they're like, it's impossible. He stood up. That should have been like a nuclear tor- cosmic tornado. And he's like, you don't know what cosmic is. I'm the original cosmic. And he punches them both out with one punch. He knocks them both out with one punch. And then he stands there in the ship thinking, well, it's going to take me to the home planet, at which point I will, uh, you know, destroy them all and then go back home. So next issue, Rigel, the home planet. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. Cool. She's an alien. This is cool. I don't know why it's cool, but it's cool. I guess I was just getting bored of God stuff. So it's like sci-fi. Yeah. Neat. Now it's sci-fi space stuff, right? Yeah. Space God Thor is good Thor. I like yeah. Space God Thor. Yeah. Work, work in Ragnarok, right? Right. Uh, well, we've never reviewed Ragnarok to know if it worked in Ragnarok, but anyway. Um, More Hercules. Her- yeah. Hercules kind of, you know, walks away here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he le- this is going to be his last time in Thor for a while. Mm-hmm. We'll see him in the Avengers down the road, not too far. Good. Um, yeah, I'm amazed at how much Hercules we've had. I thought it would just be a one and done thing, but he kept going. Yeah. I feel like Jane has got to be having a crazy time. Yeah. Like, you know what you're doing, and you know you don't want to be doing it, mm-hmm. but you also realize that you're being compelled to obey this person's orders, and you can't stop yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's got, that's got to be weird. So she's just asking, like, all she can do is ask herself, why was I made to do this? It reminds me of, you ever read that series Preacher? Yes. Where he has the voice of God? Right. So he tells you what to do and you have to do it. But you also know you're just compelled to and you don't want to. So it's kind of torturous. Um, I've seen more of the show that I have read of the comic, but I need to read more. It's on my list. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. Any comic that's ended, that's a good thing because then you can actually catch up. It's finite, right? Yeah. So you know how Tana's face was subtly different between the last two issues? Uh-huh. In my head, she like adjusted her face a little bit because she's uh-huh. a shape changer. Uh-huh. And so like roommate Jane wakes up is like, Tana, how are you? Yeah. Yes, Jane, I'm fixing eggs. You look, less, you look different. You look less flat. <laughs> right. Your eyes are closer together. I like, I kind of know if it was on purpose, but her first appearance, her eyes were wide apart and then her actual true form. She's got this giant head with eyes that are wide apart. So maybe Kirby was actually trying to suggest that she didn't quite get the human form correct or mm-hmm. something. Or he was just drawing her weird. Could be either way. Yeah, I like the idea of her not quite getting a human face right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that we see just how far like how far crazy out she started out as. Oh, man. I forgot to say when I did my summary, these, these inspector guys mentioned like five times that the only thing that can stand up to them is is the people from the black galaxy. So put a pin in that. Cause you know, next issue 
the people from the Black <laughs> Galaxy are going to help Thor beat them. And, and they keep mentioning it. And then the last time, one guy's like, don't even mention that. It fills me with, like, you know, dreadful fear every time. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's like three dreadful fears then. Just after they were complaining that humans talk too much. Right. Yeah. In the page full of word balloons, they're like, why are humans so wordy? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about all our weaknesses out loud for everybody to hear. Including the fact that they don't get paid enough for their jobs. Right. Since we receive no additional compensation for overtime inspecting, I'm definitely not going to take too long to do this. I have never read this or seen these aliens, but I think they look pretty cool. It is a very iconic look. Um, You know, Kirby does a lot of stuff that feels very Kirby, but also kind of like all one mass of Kirby look. Mm -hmm. And this does a good job of standing out in the the memory. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, they don't go anywhere because I don't recognize them. But either that or I just have never read a comic with them in it. Um, there's one Rigelian that I know sticks around and does some stuff. Um, mm. I don't remember if Tana Nile herself does a whole lot of stuff. Mm. I think she does. I think she has more stories, but I just don't have read them. Seems like a Fantastic Four villain waiting to happen or something. Yeah. Yeah, a bit. So Tana had this under control. And she's like, no, I don't need help. I just need permission and authorization to colonize. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to send inspectors. Mm-hmm. So the inspectors get there and they insist on helping. And now they mess it all up. They did. They pretty much sent Thor on his way to, uh, I mean, I don't know. He was going to go to the apartment anyway. So he was going to see her one way or the other, I guess. But yeah, but they did strike first, which was kind of stupid. She was, now e- <laughs> she was even like, um, you've heard of Thor, right? Because they're like, nothing can stop from stop our rays. And she's like, uh, I'm pretty sure Thor, I've heard of Thor as Guardians, doesn't ring a bell. But she puts the planet in the unbreakable space lock, mm-hmm. which I can't tell if that's being fired from like their ship as they're leaving and they're going to tow uh, the planet. Or if it's being fired all the way from Rigel to Earth. I was under the impression it's from Rigel. But to be fair, I don't know that those words were actually said. Said uh, it's being hurled across the endless reaches of space. Um, I just, anytime something goes in a straight line between two astronomical bodies, I'm like, oh my God. Because, I mean, just the angles and the math and the physics involved of aiming at something super, super, super far away and being able to actually hit it, it's insane. She says from our device in our arsenal. That's all she says. So I guess I don't know where the arsenal is. Unless it says it later with that weird half splash that has the the bad photo stuff that I don't like. Um, At that self-same instant, a countless light years away, a mammoth celestial space lock soars into attack position on blinding, blazing blasts of astral energy. So even if it's not Rigel, it's somewhere light years away. Ryan, they describe Rigel as being in like a faraway distant galaxy. And I'm like, I looked it up. I mean, Rigel is a star that we see in our sky. And yet we can see galaxies in our sky, but if you see a galaxy in the sky, it looks like a star because it's so far away, all the light blends together to a point. So if you see a dot in the sky, it's either a star or a galaxy. It is not a star in another galaxy. Page 15, until it unerringly reaches its target, locking the planet Earth in the invisible grip of a Rigel space lock. Okay, that still doesn't mean it's on Rigel. It just means the space lock was made by Regilians. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. They don't really say. It's far away. It's wherever Thor's going, I bet. He's going to smash it or something. I know Rigel has at least 12 planets because Rigel 12 is where Captain Pike fought that giant guy. Goody on Thor for, like, using his brains a little bit. I thought that was kind of cool. 
A little bit, yeah. Like, instead of just fighting these three guys, I'm going to take this to the home base. Let's let him capture me. That's a pretty good idea. Yeah. And now we're gonna he's going to go find out what a black galaxy is and mm-hmm. um, what the nameless sphere is that accompanies it. And there's no density that's going to stand in his way, not even George McFly's density. <laughs> density. I mean, destiny. Right, right, right. Uh, so, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, lots of cool power power moves from Thor 2, which makes me happy. Okay, on to the other one. Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. The warlock's eye, having defeated Harokin in fair battle, mighty Thor impersonates the barbarian chieftain, thus hoping to gain possession of the enchanted warlock's eye from Harokin's guards. Lee wrote it, Kirby drew it, Coletta inked it, Simek lettered it. No wonder it's another magnificent Marvel masterwork. Ooh, foreshadowing that series someday. Uh, so yeah, they're all like standing around watching the Warriors 3 do what the Warriors 3 do, which is, you know, defeat everybody. And Thor's like, as Thor disguised as Harrikin, is like, yeah, you should send two guards to go guard that eye thing that we're keeping secret. Go do that. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. So while they do that, Volstag, I guess they're only watching the Warriors too, because Volstag is in a barrel and he kind of follows those two guys to where the eye is. And then he attacks them in his humorous way, basically. And then at some point he gets hold of the eye and he unleashes it. But I don't think he realizes he does that because he basically says that it was all him that knocked them all over. There's like 600 guys and they all fell over, but he's holding the eye and they're like scared now. And they're like, ah, and they run away. And so Volstagg goes back and Thor's like, oh, you've got the eye and it's open. Give that to me. And he reveals himself as Thor and he takes the eye and then they all are going to attack the end. Not the end, to be continued, I guess. Next issue, The Dark Horse of Death. Dark Horse of Death. How did Volstagg even get in that barrel? I don't know, but he couldn't get out without breaking it, which was kind of funny. He's very mm-hmm. he's a cartoon character, I guess. This was all this was like yeah. the Volstagg show, this this story. Yeah, he actually managed to be effective in a fight with his belly, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Well, I was always under the impression that even though he's humorous and he eats a lot, like he is deadly. But so far we haven't really seen that in these stories. Until this issue, maybe. That's my impression, too. But I have, from what I've actually read in the early stuff, he is a lot more bluster than actual effectiveness. Yeah, he acts like a guy who's really awesome, but he has yet to prove it. Right. Or maybe he used to prove it all the time, but has um, let himself go, so to speak. He's kind of just been the butt of jokes, which I appreciate because Thor doesn't joke very often. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of funny. But yeah, this issue, at least he belly busted a couple guys. Yeah, and he uses the warlock's eye on some people, and Thor's like, okay, um, I don't want him to hit me with that. <laughs> right. I don't think he understands that he's using it, but or maybe he's just being arrogant and taking credit for it. I don't know. Seeing Thor with his helmet with dark hair, though, is weird. It is very weird. That, that disguise thing sure didn't last very long, but I guess it played its part. It got the guards to go get the eye, which is what he wanted. Right. Bring me the eye. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not a lot really happens, but you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of Volstag being funny, so that was cool. It's a good little chapter, but yeah, these five page installments where there's like three or four large panels on a page, there's and one of the pages is given over to Splash every time. So mm-hmm. not a lot can happen in twelve panels. No. Fifteen, sixteen panels. But yeah, still fun. Shall we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say? Yes, yeah, so let's see how accurate this isn't. So 
On the show, we like to invite uh, Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, to comment upon the tales of Asgard because he is very well versed in the lore and he helps us understand what might be getting referenced from the actual stories that um, Norse people would know because he is himself a worshiper of the Norse gods. And he says, who knew that Volstag was so good at stealth? <laughs> well, I tend to surprise people when I walk up behind them, so maybe it's not out of the question for him either. Nice to see that the MacGuffin has been retrieved, but not much else accomplished in this one. Nope. The MacGuffin. The MacGuffin eye. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's another evil eye later, like like a, a eye that's part of a red horn or something. Prester John's evil eye, maybe I don't know. Whenever the story started, I thought it might be that, but it's not. Whenever this story started, Harrikin was wearing an eye on a hat, and now right. they're, now he, they're just walking around with the eye. So does that mean Harrikin was like, you know, it would be a cool way to wield this weapon? Can you put it on a hat for me? Can you can you put this on my hat? Yeah, I thought the hat was the weapon like the whole thing came as a hat but instead now i'm thinking hurricane was just like i need to put this on top of my head for the full <laughs> effect which actually i guess kind of works because what else are you going to do with it hold it or wear it like a necklace i don't know i guess you well, put it on your where head. do you wear your third eye right your head. if it was smaller it could be a cool necklace or something but it's just so unwieldy but then again on your head now you're just exhausted in the neck all the time i don't know well, anyway, um, that's one way to wrap, wrap up an episode, I guess. Yeah, you know, putting letting letting your third eye give you a kink in your neck. So kind of, well, we had a good Hulk, and I really liked the Daredevil. Um, the other two were okay. No, I think actually Thor is setting up something that could be really cool. I don't know. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to this run from Thor because I have memories of bits of it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there, like I said... Tana Nile with this whole Rigel thing helps us move Thor into space god territory, mm-hmm. and there are some good sci-fi runs coming up. Um, the Jack Kirby run of Thor becomes a new thing over the next few months. It doesn't seem like he has a lot of interest in becoming an Avenger anytime soon. Again, nope, nope. He is done Avengering for now. Yeah, and part th- of that is just like storytelling ease. Like, when would all the Avengers stuff happen if he's always out gallivanting? Do you feel like he's just like? I mean, maybe in lo- maybe in the future he won't feel that way long term. But like right now, anyway, he's in the mind space. Like that was just a fun little Earth thing I did for a while. But, but who <laughs> he care- might be. But who cares about the Avengers? They're not that big a deal in the grand scheme of my things. And like his goal to be with um, Jane involved giving up being Thor. So even though he would be on Earth, he wouldn't be Avengering. Yeah. Well, now he can be but- Thor and with jane and stay so yes maybe this think she's gonna like that idea though like he has to leave all the time to be thor she's gonna hate it uh no more than anyone else has to leave the house all the time i don't know she could hate it she could she could could be cool with it she does have fantasies about cutting his hair and stuff so maybe she'll also like it who knows ironing his cape (laughs) i'd like to see that for real if they hook up but they're not going to so it doesn't matter next time on an auto episode of make ours marvel please read If you wish to be on top of the story, read Sergeant Fury 33, Tales of Suspense 81, Strange Tales 148, and The Avengers 31. That'll take us most of the way through June 1966. And uh, where can they find us if they want to talk about us and talk to us between now and then? 
If they want to listen first, they could find us at makearsmarvel.com or you could just type Make Ours Marvel into any one of your favorite apps and hopefully it works. On the website, you'll also find every episode, of course, and you'll find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And if you hear something that just makes you want to talk right back at us, we love feedback. So if you want to write us podcast at makearsmarvel.com, every once in a while we put out one of those mailbag episodes where we respond to uh, your thoughts and and praises and negative criticisms. So throw them our way. Uh, Michael Kaiser can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I have a gigantic ego and would love for you to listen to my other shows. So please do so by checking out uh, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast, uh, which is on Twitter at All the Pouches. Or you can try out Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, which is on Twitter at TFUK podcast. Which also might have me in it. Which also has my son in it. Um, about half the time because we do comics and cartoons. And um, yeah, go check those out. So um, do we have anything else before we go? I'm thinking this podcast thing is a fad and we should like start doing blogs or something. Yeah, we should definitely go back to text-based entertainment. <laughs> I think that that's... So <laughs> everybody hold their breath for that. We're going to start doing blogs again. Live journal, here we come. Uh, I still have mine though. I still have my uh, my login. Oh wow! Um, so until we get a live journal, or until Warren Worthington the Third gives up his Jean Grey crush for candy, make ours marvel. marvel.